Howdy, and welcome to Midnight Pals, a scholarships and financial aid podcast from Texas A&M University. I'm Emily Spaulding, a recent former student of Texas A&M, and I work in the scholarships and financial aid office. And I'm Jake Mason, a financial aid advisor in the same office. Wonderful. And today we have Nick Kilmer, who is going to be talking to us about the Money Education Center. Howdy, Nick. How are you? Howdy. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the Money Education and kind of what the Money Education Center does? Sure, happy to. Since about 2007, Texas A&M has been offering some form of financial education. We used to have a program called the MoneyWise Aggie, which was a terrific program. But as the university grew, our enrollment grew, and also nationally, as we saw that trend of student loan debt increasing, the higher-ups at Texas A&M, both in the provost's office and at the top of scholarships and financial aid, decided to make the investment and not just a team or, or an individual dedicated to financial education, but an entire center. And so Delisa Falks, the Assistant Vice President of Scholarships and Financial Aid, proposed to me that I begin a new center called the Money Education Center, which would have three dedicated staff members, and then as well as myself as the manager and a team of student workers who could help students navigate the financial hurdles they run into during college, whether it relates to managing their money or funding college, uh, student loan repayment, buying a car, buying a home, investing even, retirement planning. There's so many financial decisions that we as Americans and as, even as college students, even as freshmen, that we have to make that it's overwhelming. And quite often we're not equipped to address those questions well enough to feel comfortable with the trajectory of our, our financial welfare. And so in comes the Money Education Center. We are open to any prospective students. We're open to current students and former students. And we try to just help them, again, navigate those hurdles, help them make the best decisions they can for their own financial lives. Well, I know from personal experience, you guys do provide services to former students. One of your advisors, Jason Baylor, helped me with the purchase of a car last summer, and that was immensely helpful, especially for a lot of millennials such as myself. As you mentioned, we don't have a lot of money education, so it, it was very helpful as far as like helping me find you know, the interest rate insurance and things like that that not necessarily everyone is very familiar with. Personal finance is huge and it's more complex than ever. As Americans, we're giving more options, more tools to use, but that's just more decisions to make. And frankly, most of us would rather get back to what we like to do. And so with my team, they all come with their own skill sets, their own background, their own experiences, and they cover a variety of topics. So, you know, we talk about Mr. David Rote, who he's not just an advisor. He trains and prepares what we call peer advisors at the center. So these are current students who actually are trained in money education in order to train other Aggies and advise them in making their decisions. But he has a background in insurance, and so he, he can address a lot of questions that I personally couldn't, whereas my background might be more in banking or in more general financial planning, so retirement planning, et cetera. And then you've got Jason Voller, who you mentioned, who has happened to study abroad many times. And so we've got students who are trying to figure out, how do we afford that big, expensive trip? What should I worry about when leaving the country for the first time? And he's really great at addressing that. And then we have Miss Yesenia Rojas. She not only uh, has experience and, and education in, in different topics, but she actually helps what, what we would call as our at-risk student population and what I mean by at risk, the, our definition is simply there's something that could keep them from graduating. They're at greater risk of not graduating. So whether we're talking about students who maybe are at risk of losing their financial aid eligibility, 
or they're first-generation students whose parents simply don't have that cultural capital. They don't have that background of having done this before. She helps them out in terms of addressing the financial questions they may have and just help them, again, along their way. So as you mentioned, that's one of the wonderful things about having an entire center is because it takes a, a village, right? And that's what we are over at the center. Village of financial educators. You can imagine <laughs> that. I don't know. I'm glad that you also mentioned the outreach and stuff like that because, as you know, we're Aggies, so we like to brag a little bit. It's my understanding that we have really good numbers compared to a lot of other schools in the country as far as, like, loan default and things like that. More than anything to me, that is due to our student body. Y'all are good at managing your money, as good as you can be. But at the same time, if you look at, you know, what Jason has done, if we're talking about my team again, Jason is our student loan program coordinator. So he manages several different programs that are focused on trying to help students do the best they can with the money that they're borrowing and then repay it in a timely manner. So, for instance, if by chance some of our students happen to withdraw, those withdrawn students are more likely, they're some of the most likely students to not repay their loans. So he does outreach every single week to them to find out do they've got questions, uh, are they thinking about re-enrolling and navigating that process as well as what repayment options might be available to them uh, in order to maybe reduce their monthly required payment so they're not so strapped for funds without that college degree, which obviously that's what gets you that, that higher earning so you can actually handle the debt. Additionally, as a center, uh, we sit down with a lot of our students and go over what could they expect. They look at their actual indebtedness versus their estimated after-tax earnings considering the profession they're going into. And that's often based upon their major. And, and again, that helps our students who, if they're at risk, if there's going to be a chance they may not be able to actually repay that debt, we can talk about some of the repayment options they have or maybe even deferment or forbearance. But for more often than not, what we find is that those students that are so stressed about can they manage that large loan amount, that when they break it down to monthly payments versus their monthly after-tax income, they actually walk away really relieved. And so, but what we find is you, you were asking about our numbers. And nationally, if you look at it, compared to the national figures, Texas A&M, our undergraduates take on about $23,000, in debt of their own here at A&M, whereas, again, nationally, the figure is a lot higher. The percentage of students who borrow as undergraduates here are only about 43%. Again, the national average is higher. And then as for defaulting, so not repaying the debt, our Aggies are great at repaying their debts. Our percentage hovers between 2 and 3%. Again, the national figure is, is about three, four times higher than that. We didn't bring you on here just to shower you with praise, although that's, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> One of the things that you did mention with the outreach especially and with students withdrawing or, or stopouts in regards to student retention a lot of the data shows that the two things students say is the reason why they stopped attending is money mm -hmm. and then feeling like they're just a number. Yep. And it seems like you guys are specifically geared toward helping alleviate both of those, one with obviously the money information, but also with the contact and the care because, you know, Texas A&M is, you know, one of the largest schools in the country. And so in a lot of cases, making students feel like you're not just a UIM. Yes. And, and that's kind of, that is something I think that's special about here is that we do try to make students feel like they are part of the Aggie family and you are you are a person, you are valued. Well, and, and what we do in the center is personal finance. It's personal, which means that there are so many variables involved in every single individual Aggie that we do need to have that high touch points with you. So again, the, the more contact we can have with you, the more we can help you. I do think that it helps anybody who's receiving attention like that to feel more like they're accepted, they belong, they've got a future, they're, they're successful. And at the same time, it's a giant relief to see that the numbers work. You know, you, you actually, it, you can do well financially, not just now, but down the road. 
one other thing is you're not just an educator, money educator in your center. You're also an educator in the classroom, right? Yes, yes. So our, our center offers a lot of services from workshops or group presentations to classroom presentations, as well as that one-on-one advising, which I think is, that's where the rubber meets the road. If, if you're wanting to change your life, it's going to happen on that in that 30-minute appointment that you have with us. In addition to that, we do walk-in advising, both in person or via Zoom. We also do um, phone advisings. Uh, we do also offer a three-credit hour course that is a social and behavioral sciences core elective called the Foundations of Money Education, or AGLS 235. And, you know, the, the reason we created that course, we partnered with the financial planning program here at Texas A&M about three years ago, four years ago, and created this course because we realized that students are busier than ever. And, and frankly, we have so many students tell us that they want to learn about money, but they're taking 15 hours, they're taking 18 hours, they're working one, two jobs, they're, they're supporting their family, they just don't have the time to come by. Well, you, you do have to take coursework to get your degree, and so we built a course so you can earn academic credit and at the same time get about 20, 25 hours of, of education about personal finances along the way. And so in the, the course, we will teach you everything we could teach at the center, but what we do say is as you're, you're going along in the course, you're learning that great information, come in and talk to us privately one-on-one to discuss how to actually apply it to your personal life. That's where you're going to see a change in your life. So what kind of advice would you give to a graduating senior, for example? You know, I would love to first speak to them before they ever became a graduating senior. I, I don't like to wait that long. When we speak to some of our graduating students, what we found is the, the large majority of them do not know what their student loan debt is. But in addition to that, they really have no idea of what their potential earnings are after graduation. To me, that's a little scary because, you know, back when I was in school, and I try and teach people what to do based on what I didn't do and so that they can skip all my pain. And so one of the things I didn't do back when I was in college is I did not worry about my career. I did not try to figure out what positions were out there with what earnings and what placement rates and, and where they would be located and what would the cost of living be in those locations and comparison, how to negotiate for salary and as well as compare offers. And I didn't worry about that until after graduation. And I thought the degree would do it. And so uh, something I would like to tell a, a pre-senior is, is to get after that. E even freshmen, sophomores, you should be in touch with the Career Center and figuring out that degree you're earning. They know which employers are hiring from A&M. They, they have an idea of what those earnings are. They have, they have an idea of what those placement rates are within the first six months or year. And then they have tools that can help determine what are your strengths and how could that apply to different jobs. I didn't use any of that. Instead, what I did is I came back as a former student, and at the time, I don't think they offered former student services, and I just begged somebody to please help me make a resume that wasn't horrible. I thought it was great, but after they talked to me and showed me how bad it was, I realized why I wasn't getting any job offers, despite having a finance degree from Texas A&M University. And so with that said, I would say that the primary reason most people come to college is to get a degree so that they can earn an extra million dollars on average over 40 years of professional career work and have unemployment rate that's split in half. It, it increases your options because you can check the box that you have a bachelor's, but that alone is not enough. The, the, the point is to go find that career, and it should start a lot sooner than your senior year. So don't be like me. That's what I'm saying. Do something different. Start early. Figure out what you like to do, and then go find out how to get paid well to do it. I think in a lot of cases, we use ourselves as cautionary tales, especially when we're advising students. Uh, you know, like you said, don't make the mistakes I did. But Nick, we've all had a long road to get where we're at, and we've all had different roads. So one thing I do kind of want to ask, and this is just more of a personal question, but how did you come to Texas A&M? How did you decide to say, you know what, I'm coming to College Station, I'm going to be an Aggie? 
you know, I would say I probably wouldn't even know Texas A&M existed without my dad. My dad always wanted to come to Texas A&M. He wasn't really afforded that opportunity. Instead, he went to the Navy. And so as I was in my high school years, he started mentioning to me that I had two options. Could either go into the Navy, not the military, not the Air Force, the Army, no, not not that broader sense, but the Navy, or I could go to Texas A&M. And, you know, being the flippant high schooler that I was, I said, yeah, right, old man, I'm going to go up north. I'm going to Richmond. I'm going to Maryland. And, you know, he was a, he's a good father and he didn't force me to do anything. But he said, well, you just come visit Texas A&M with me once. And that is all it took. Came to Texas A&M. And what I always believed was that Texans are nice. You know, I lived in Austin. They're nice. But there's a different level of kindness here in this community at Texas A&M. When I came here, obviously, I was blown away by the campus staff, by the way the students were treating me. Everybody's yelling, howdy, you know, let me, let me show you how to get across campus and so on. But what really sold me was when we went off campus to go get gasoline. I think it was at the gas station on Holloman, which, again, was recently removed, you know, it's here. But when we went in, the lady behind the counter, you know, she did the what should be a rhetorical question. How's your day? And I took it as such, and I simply said, you know, it's, it's good. How about you? And then I realized, you know, standing with her at the counter that, no, she actually wanted to know, like, in depth, how was my day going? And I was blown away by the kindness that she was showing me, despite that we weren't on campus. She wasn't selling me anything about Texas A&M. The culture of kindness at Texas A&M had permeated the community. And that is when I realized that this is where I belonged, this is where I could be accepted, and this is where I could be the best me. And so my twin brother and I, we, we ended up coming to Texas A&M, and first month here, I met my future wife. So, it, you know, it paid off. And then we never left. So I've been here for 20 years. I'd say it was a win. Ble- it all ble- worked out. Yeah, bless that lady in the, the Holloman gas station. Before we let you go, Nick, what is the best way for students to get in contact with the Money Education Center? So if you forget everything I've said, you can find most of that on money.tamu.edu, including you'll find a link for scheduling an appointment for a future day. You can have as many 30-minute appointments as you'd like. But on top of that, we do get in line for advising service, where essentially you can get in line right now to either receive a call back or to come see us in person, or to hop on Zoom with us. Once you sign in through our website, uh, you'll start receiving text message updates letting you know where you are in line. You go about your life. You don't need to wait in our lobby. You don't need to wait on hold. And we'll let you know when it's your turn, and then we can answer your financial question right there. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about the Money Education Center. I know we learned a lot, and we're hopeful that the students who listen to our podcast will also learn a lot and contact you all for all their financial needs. Thanks for having me. One last announcement is we would like for you guys, if you'll do us a favor, like, subscribe, share, hit that little bell so you get the notifications every time there's a new episode. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, anywhere where fine podcasts are shared at. We would love to hear y'all's feedback on the podcast. If you put those in the ratings on Apple Podcasts or in the comment section, please be sure to interact and engage. And like Jake said, like, comment, subscribe. Let's get those hearts going, fam. And thank y'all so much for listening to Midnight Pell. Thanks and giggum. Thanks and giggum, Mags. <laughs>